You're listening to Voices of Your Village, episode number 18. Today I get to talk with Bryn Humpalmer, the host of the Birth Hour podcast. I'm a birth junkie and I've been a faithful listener for years, so that was very exciting for me to bring her on today. Uh, we are talking about being a working mom. Bryn has worked full-time, she's worked part-time, she's been working and had the side gig of growing the birth hour, so she brings a lot of different perspective to the table. Um, She's also now working full-time from home versus when she was working full-time out of the house, so uh, she she has a lot of different perspective to share with us. I was excited to dive into this topic because I think that there is a lot of, I mean, it's a heavy topic from when you go back to work, both physically and uh, like breastfeeding, are you pumping? Are you sleeping? The guilt that can come with being a working parent. uh, This was one of the biggest questions I received from people uh, as I put out this call for questions on this one. You know, one time I was, I was teaching preschool and I had this mom drop off her tiny human and she just thanked me. And she was like, thank you for being here. Thanks for doing what you do. She said, I'm a better mom because I have this time away from him. Not everyone's meant to be with kids 24-7, and that's okay. So we, we dive into all this. I touched upon the gender pay gap and how that can play a role in the household. Bryn has this beautiful partnership with her husband, and we get to hear about that and some things that they've learned over time in terms of how to split things around the house or how to really co-parent when they're both working it can often this this idea of balance can be such a challenge and it can feel like a juggling act but Bryn highlighted this well for us and she's a mama of two and has a growing baby now that's coming in November and it'll be her first time working from home with uh with an infant so yeah maybe more to come all right let's dive in with Bryn Palmer. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey, Bryn. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, honestly, it's kind of wild for me because I've looked up to you as like a girl boss inspo for years. And (laughs) this is wild, but I can't imagine a better fit for this episode. Um, Like being a working parent and you've had so many different transitions within that. So let's do this. Can you tell my listeners who haven't Instagram stalked you for years who you are? Sure. So my name is Bryn Hunt Palmer, and I'm a mama to two kiddos that are six and four, and we have another one on the way. So a little bit of a gap there. I'm interested to see how that goes. Um, we live in Austin, Texas. Um, so yeah, so I run the Birth Hour podcast, which started as a podcast, which was birth stories, and then we've kind of expanded to a bunch of resources online and um, childbirth education and I don't know, all kinds of stuff. So it's been fun. I've been in the birth baby world really deep into it the last few years. I'm excited to talk to you about, you know, how that transition worked out as far as work goes. But 
that's me. Yeah. So when you were pregnant with your first with Adelaide, did you, you weren't doing birth work then. What did, what did work look like for you at that point? So at that point, um, I was in grad school and my husband was in law school. So we were just, you know, really planned that out. Great. (laughs) In fact, we were like, if we got pregnant this month, we might have, um, we'd have the baby over Christmas break, which would be just perfect. You know, like all you need is a Christmas break and you're good to go. Um, and we, we did get pregnant right away. And, um, and of course she was 15 days late and Christmas break was over. And, um, and so I had to figure that all out. Luckily our schedules were pretty flexible that we were able to, um, kind of organize our classes where one of us could be with her when the other one wasn't. And my teachers, my professors were all really great about, you know, if I needed to step out and feed her, Richard would just like wait in the hallway for me. I didn't even pump really. Um, so yeah, we made it work. I actually, you know, it was hard cause we were broke and first time parents learning everything, but looking back on it, we had so much flexibility. So I think this time with Richard working a full-time job, it's going to be maybe harder in some ways. Yeah, for sure. So how long after like giving birth to Adelaide, did you have to start like going to class? I think I took off a few weeks, um, like just emailed professors and was like, and were like, you know, I, I can't obviously come in. Um, she was late and I had a graduate assistantship as well. And that, um, they were able to work with me to work from home, which was nice. Um, and then, yeah, I can't remember, maybe like four weeks or something. And it was only, you know, a few classes. I think I was taking four classes and they were, um, they were like seminars, so it would only be once a week or whatever. So it was definitely doable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then after that, did you dive into work after like that grad school at the end of that semester? Or what did that look like? So I know you got pregnant with Darwin not too long after, right? Right. So we actually, this is like, I feel like I'm going to go down this crazy tangent, but we decided when Adelaide was about six months old to um, like sell all of our things and move into an RV and travel, um, which I think everyone's doing now. At least a lot of my online friends are doing now and some of my um, in real life friends as well. But it wasn't really a thing people were doing back then. So everyone thought we were insane. Um, But we did it. We sold everything. We bought an RV. We moved into it. And so it didn't really make sense for me to look for a job. The plan was for Richard to kind of have a virtual law office from the road. and then, and so he had to finish up law school. And then in that time frame, we found out we were expecting again. And I just had a total panic moment of, um, no, <laughs> I can't have a home birth in a trailer. It was a very nice fifth wheel RV, but still, um, it just wasn't for me. I couldn't picture it. We had a hundred pound Bernie's mountain dog. I was like, we're just not, I just can't, I can't do it. And so we were like, all right, what are we gonna do now? Cause we just spent all our money on this RV and, um, Richard still had to take the bar exam and find a job if we weren't going to do the, the on the road thing. And so, um, what we did then was decided to move to Oregon where we had a family home that my, it was my grandparents and my mom had inherited it, but she's not anywhere close to retirement. So no one had been living in it and was not really being taken care of. And it was right on the Oregon coast with a view of the ocean. And we're like, we could live there. (laughs) Um, So we did that and uh, moved there when I was probably about 30 weeks pregnant, Um, found found a midwife and Richard, you know, studied for the bar exam and made a new life there. And then there's a whole nother story that comes once Darwin was born. And as far as me and my work and stuff goes. 
Yeah. Wow. That is wild. I can't imagine being like on the road, not knowing what was next whilst pregnant. That's yeah. We're, we're just total nomads in general. Like um, in Austin, we've been here for three years now and that's the longest that we've had an address, you know, in, since our relationship, we've been together for 12 years. So that's wild. That is insane. Uh, so then what happened next? So you have Darwin and you're now in a home. Right. So luckily we had low um, living expenses. My mom basically just, you know, had us paying the utilities and stuff. Um, but we were both unemployed at that point because Richard had to study for the bar and then find a job. Um, and so I, I was just randomly looking at the websites of the area. It was a very small town in um, Oregon. And my master's degree that I had just gotten was in higher education. So I just looked up to see what colleges were in the area. And there's a community college and they're hiring a part-time development director. And my career prior to going to grad school was in development, which is fundraising for nonprofits. And so I was like, okay, this is like, I know I will get this job. This is calling my name. Um, I, I felt like I had to apply, even though it seemed insane because I was, you know, 35 weeks pregnant or something. Um, and so I applied. I got a call for the interview when I was two days past my due date. And I told the, um, the HR person, I was like, well, I could come in, but I'm, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm due any day now. And she was like, okay, yeah, we're going to have you um, not do that right now. <laughs> um, and so they pushed it back like four weeks the interview. And so I knew at that point that I was like probably like their only candidate or their best option. Again, very small town. I don't think they got a lot of transplants with master's degrees coming in, um, applying for their job. And so um, I was like, okay. And so we, we made the, um, the interview for like four weeks from then. The other thing going on at this point was I was due on July 20th and Richard was supposed to take the bar exam on July 30th and 31st. And it was in Portland, which was like three hours away. And you can't bring a phone or anything into this test. And so it was a two-day test. And so I was like really trying to get this baby out before he had to go to that because I was worried he was going to miss the birth. And um, baby didn't come. And so he left for the test. And he was like, I'll stay. I'm like, no, they only offer it twice a year. Um, and so if he waited another six months, then it's another six months before he can even look for jobs. So, um, so he went, my mom came and I just sat on the couch with my legs crossed basically and willed the baby not to come. And the night that he got back, um, at 8 PM, I went into labor like a couple hours later and it was a very fast birth, like less than three hours. So he barely made it for that. Um, so that's kind of our crazy story around that. Um, so anyway, so postpartum and everything um, was okay. I went in for the interview at four weeks um, and I had huge boobs, like leaking, leaking boobs. It was an all day interview pretty much meeting with all these really um, high up people from all around town, not just the college. It was like the CEO of the hospital and all these board members from the college and I remember like double bagging my breast pads basically um, and still worrying that I was going to leak through them. And, but I wasn't nervous at all. And I love telling that story because I used to be a really nervous interviewer. And I think I was still on that birth high of like, I can do anything. I just pushed a baby out in my bedroom in less than three hours. Um, so I wasn't nervous at all in front of this, like, you know, on this huge conference table with eight people on the other side of the table. Um, 
and just answered their questions, whatever, moved on, knew I was going to get the job. And they're like, when can you start? <laughs> and I was like, well, I just had a baby four weeks ago. So I would like to get at least six weeks in there. And I've always been one of those people that, you know, wanted to stay home with my kids and never wanted to send them to daycare. And so I just kind of justified it in my head as like, A, I need, we needed the money. Um, Richard, he had taken the bar exam, but it takes a few months to get the results. So you can't even really apply for jobs for a few months. And then you start the job application process, which is a whole nother thing. Um, so I felt like I had to do it for the family. Um, I knew Richard was going to be the one home with the babies. And so I was able to justify it in my head, even though my emotions were tearing me in so many different directions. And so I started at six weeks. Oh, and the fact that it was part-time, I told myself. But it turned out that it had been a full-time job that was reduced to part-time, really just to save money. Mm-hmm. Um, and the you know scope of the job hadn't really changed. And so that was tough because <laughs> there was a lot more to do than could be done in 20 hours a week. And so um, I just kind of, you know, told myself it was going to be okay and started. And I, my very first day on the way home, I was so anxious to get home to Darwin and got pulled over by a cop for speeding in this tiny town. And I didn't even know the speed limit had dropped. I'd never speed. I'm like a total grandma. Even when I was a teenager, I never speed. And I got my first ticket ever. And I just like bawled, like ugly cried scream like I was screaming so loud in the car in the driveway like scream crying like I just can't get ahead like all the money I'm gonna make this month is gonna go to this effing ticket you know I just like lost my mind it was so loud that Richard could hear it from inside <laughs> and came out and was like what happened um so that was my first day oh no <laughs> and it was so just important. it was tough yeah it was tough um and I had to kind of fight for my, you know, time to pump. And I, I quickly um, convinced them to move me up to three quarters time because I was working it anyways. I wanted to get paid for it. And so um, my hours, you know, expanded and stuff like that. So I just have such a, a huge heart for all the mamas that go back to work at six weeks or even 12 weeks because it's so hard. Your emotions are still all over the place. Your body is still leveling out. Um, and it's so hard to be torn between these two worlds. I felt like I was terrible at my job and terrible at being a mom because I was so split between the two. Yeah. You touched on a couple things there that, uh, we had questions about, um, but before we dive into those, I want to give a little plug here that Darwin's birth story is on the birth hour. I think it's episode one, right? Yeah. His is one. And then Adelaide's is on there too. Um, and they're both so good (laughs) her episode number I can't remember but yeah that one I did with Richard so I kind of want to go back and do Darwin's with Richard too that would be awesome yeah those are two that I like listen to when I'm feeling stressed and need to chill um they're just (laughs) super chill um but yeah I as you were like throwing that like piece of him being gone I was like oh yes I remember all of this (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, so one of the one of the questions that people reached out about was about being a nursing mom and kind of like things to know or favorite products that you found along the way or um, how to handle like supply and demand changes. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like I know so much more now than I did then um, helping other moms. So I will I will have more tools in my toolbox uh, this time around, but. Um, I, you know, recommend obviously like drinking a lot of water and 
and taking care of yourself food wise. And for me, the biggest challenge was making the time to pump. And we talk a lot about this in our back to work breastfeeding course, like from the very beginning, you know, set that schedule with your employer. And here's like, you know, Stephanie, the lactation counselor that teaches that course, she has this amazing, you know, guide for how to get a quick 20 minute pump session from, you know, start to finish with the parts and everything. And that was such a huge thing for me was just finding the time and I would put it off or I would let, you know, a meeting run over or I would let someone, you know, come in my office when it was really my pumping time because no one else was doing this there. And I felt really isolated and uncomfortable about it even. Um, so I think just, just owning it from the beginning, putting it on your calendar. Um, the startup that I worked at in Austin, the moms there were kind of funny. They would have to book a conference room for pumping because we were in an open office and they would put funny things on their calendar, like booking the conference room and they would put like smoke break or something because <laughs> we had chain smokers who were taking, you know, really long breaks for that multiple times a day. So obviously like pumping comes first um, as far as making time for stuff. So just put it on your calendar, block it out and don't um, give in on it because that was my issue. And it really affected my supply because I would skip a session or push it back a couple hours and being so freshly postpartum, you know, that the boobs are used to being used every two to three hours when you're with your baby. So it was really hard. And, um, and I just, I didn't like pumping. I didn't have all the great things they have now, you know, to help with that as far as a cute pump bag and, um, a pump bra. I could never find one that worked for my chest size. And I'm sure there is one. I just didn't figure it out. Um, so yeah, I didn't have a lot of those tools and it wasn't a super good experience for me. With spring on the horizon, but not quite here yet in Vermont, I've been looking for simple ways to give my body the energy boost it needs and keep up with healthy habits, especially on those tired mornings when I'm just feeling drained. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel more energized and ready to take on the day. It's a morning ritual that gives me peace of mind and then I'm getting comprehensive nutrition that supports my immune system and keeps me going all day. As a parent of two amazing kids, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so that I can continue to show up for the moments that matter. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm jazzed to welcome them as a new sponsor. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com village. That's drinkag1.com village. Check it out. I am loving ready-to-eat meals in this season of life. Things are really busy over here with a toddler and a newborn, and I don't always want to be focusing on meal planning and ordering groceries. Factors, fresh, never-frozen meals are chef-crafted and dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. There's zero prep and zero mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup involved, and Holy moly, do I need that right now. 
I also love that I can order as much or as little as I need by choosing my meals every week and I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast restaurant quality meals with no cooking required and there are more than 60 add-ons like pancakes and smoothies to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Head to factormeals.com slash village50 and use code village50 to get 50% off. That's code village50 at factormeals.com slash village50 to get 50% off. So what would you kind of do differently going into this time? Like, is there a pump bag you would definitely get? Or have you found the magic bra? Like how, how would you change it? Well, this time, luckily, I don't have to go back to work. I mean, I will, but I'll be working from home. Um, but yeah, I would, I would let myself kind of spend the money to, to spoil a little bit with things like that. You know, um, I had to bring a, a bag and my pump bag and my lunch. And like, I just ha- I felt like a pack mule every day going to the office. Um, and the pump bag was like very obviously a pump bag. Um, and so I would get something like the Sarah Wells bag where you can put your laptop and everything in one bag that looks just like a work bag, but your pump's also in there. Um, and then, yeah, I would figure out a good solution for a pump bra. I didn't know about being able to store your parts in, like you can get a wet bag or even just a Ziploc bag and just put them in there and then keep them in the fridge and um, you don't have to wash them after every session, which was something I hated doing because I had to go into the communal kitchen area and wash. And I was the youngest person at this office by like 20 years. Um, And it was just like nobody else was in the same stage of life as me. So it was just uncomfortable for me. Um, and I didn't like doing that. And, uh, so I would do that or I would ask to have had a fridge in my office, like a mini fridge. I think that if you ask for things, a lot of times people will be accommodating and you certainly have actual rights when it comes to some of these things, like a comfortable, clean place to pump and things like that. Yeah. I actually, I recently came across like a Kelly mom article about like your rights and it had a bunch of links to like find out like your rights in your state and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so yeah we go over all that stuff in our course too and I I, stuff I just didn't know about I knew that like um like one of the first things that came up was the um one of the property manager people grounds managers this guy in his like late fifties probably um, made a comment to me about I had put just like computer paper over the little window on my office door because I didn't have a blind or a curtain, and obviously like I needed privacy to pump in my office. And he made a comment about it like being inappropriate to like have my door closed with you know, with the window blocked. And I don't think he knew why I had done that, but it just made me so uncomfortable. And I immediately went to HR. It was like, you need to talk to this dude because like, that's not cool (laughs) to tell me that. Um, And they handled it. And so I knew that much that, you know, people shouldn't be telling me what to do when it comes to like where I can pump and how and stuff. Um, But I certainly didn't know, you know, what my rights were as far as how often and having scheduled times and things like that. Yeah, no, that, I mean, awesome for you for advocating at that point, though, <laughs> especially. I was probably in tears, but. Yeah, right. <laughs> As an emotional roller coaster. Yes. That was another question that I got was how did, like, how to handle the emotional piece? Um, I, you know, leaving your kids with Richard, I'm sure was 
um, perhaps a bit easier. Not that any part of it is easy, but uh, yeah, how to how to kind of manage that piece? Did you find anything that wound up being really helpful? Yeah, that was real. That was a helpful transition piece. Um, but then around six months. Um, when Darwin was about six months old, Richard got a job. And so then we we had to put them both in daycare and his job was also like kind of part-time. So we didn't really feel like I could leave mine. Um, and so we put them in daycare and it was a really great daycare situation. So we felt good about that. And they were in the same room together, which felt really good that they would have each other. Um, but one of the things that I recommend to moms as much as possible is if you can have um, have your partner do the drop off <laughs> mm. because those drop offs with babies are rough. It's very emotional. The, the baby typically is going to cry being handed over to a stranger and you're going to cry too. And Richard was able to like, just do it and go and, you know, compartmentalize it and not have that like maternal, just, it's going to eat at you all day long and you're going to be so worried about baby and stuff. So um, I think especially in the beginning, if you can do that. And then later, um, Darwin got so comfortable with the, the one main lady there, she's a really sweet older lady that he, when we would get there, he knew the drill and he would like reach for her. And that broke my heart too. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm obviously happy that he feels safe and comfortable with his caretaker, but the fact that he's like, you know, reaching away from me to go to a stranger and then I have to go off to work, that's really emotional too. So I just preferred to be the one that got to pick them up when they're happy to see you versus <laughs> dropping them off and dealing with that emotional roller coaster. Yeah, that's a good hot tip. Uh, <laughs> so it, um, how has this like worked in terms of co-parenting? I mean, the dropping off uh, sounds like that was like a trick that you learned along the way. I think a lot of the times uh, we know that women make less in the workforce and that the breadwinner tends to be the dude if you're in a heterosexual relationship. And so what I, we often see happen from like the childcare side of things as a teacher that the person who's listed as like our emergency contact if a kid is sick or things like that is often mom. Um, and so she's the one that we're supposed to call and she's the one that would stay home with them if they're sick and stuff like that. How have you guys navigated that between the two of you? Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to have a lot of open conversations about it and mutual respect for each other and each other's work. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the, you know, the breadwinner aspect because in our relationship, pretty much I've, my income has always been higher than his, but I've never even thought about it that way. Um, cause we just support each other no matter, you know, what we're, what we're in. Um, and so in that situation, we both had kind of these part-time office jobs. And so we really just did what we needed to do. Um, and we actually only had one car at the time or one car that had car seats. And so we had this crazy pickup situation to meet each other up and like switch. It was, it was insane. I remember telling someone I worked with and they were like, that's insane. You should buy another car seat, but it wasn't in the budget at the time. Um, so yeah, I think just talking about it and working it out and then having respect for each other's work, regardless of, you know, who has the set hours or the set paycheck. Like even now I work for myself for the birth hour from home and yes, I'm the first one that they call from the school. But um, if I had something on the calendar, 
it wouldn't just be assumed that I'm going to reschedule and drop that because I work for myself. You know, it might be something really important that I need to get done. And so Richard will, you know, take one of the kids to work with him or something like that. Um, and it's always been that way. So I think I know that probably not everyone is as lucky as I am to have a really supportive partner um, in that aspect anyways. But I think just being open about it and not just like, you know, bearing that cross of, well, I guess it's me every time, you know, and it it does kind of drive me crazy sometimes when a teacher will only call the mom, like, especially when there's like an issue with um, Adelaide starting kindergarten this year, we had a lot of uh, just growing pains with it. And the teacher, like, it was almost like she was uncomfortable talking to Richard. And so she would call me about everything. And it's stressful to be the one constantly fielding that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think just sharing the parenting. And we've, you know, been really good about co-parenting from the very beginning. Even just, you know, nursing sessions in the middle of the night, Richard would get up and change the diaper. And I would be getting, you know, situated to nurse and he would hand me the baby and just, and he could go back to sleep within, you know, probably three minutes of all of that. And he's really good at going back to sleep easily. I'm not. Um, and just having that support of not being the only one getting up alone in the middle of the night, four times a night was really great. And so I always encourage couples to talk about that too. Like, what's that going to look like? Yes, you have to go to work in the morning, but I have to take care of a human all day. So it's not like I have the day off. (laughs) Um, So figure out a way to support each other. Totally. And especially like when you were also going to work in the morning, like if you're both going to work in the morning. So how, how is that having him as, well, both of them as infants and then getting up and going to work in the morning after nursing all night? Like how did you manage that? I feel like you just block that out. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm trying really hard to remember uh, what that was like, and I'm struggling um, to remember. But I, I also have been very lucky with good sleepers, and so you know, obviously with the newborns, you're nursing constantly. But um, I was able to get—I had big babies too. I was able to get that five-hour stretch pr- pretty early on, which is life-changing when you're used to the two and a half-hour feeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then both of our kids started sleeping through the night at six months. So I feel like you can do anything for six months. And so I was really lucky in that sense. And I have always needed a lot of sleep. My mom referred to me as sleeping beauty all the time growing up because I would sleep until noon or later like on the regular. Um, and Richard doesn't need as much sleep. So he's been kind of the, once they got past the stage of needing me physically, um, to eat, he's been the nighttime person of dealing with, you know, just random needs in the middle of the night that we still have occasionally. So yeah, I would say for, for moms who don't have great sleepers (laughs) baby wise, um, just trying to take care of yourself nutritionally is going to be really huge because it is really, really depleting to be nursing and not getting enough sleep. So be sure you're, you know, continuing your prenatal vitamins or something else that you have um, for postpartum and drinking a ton of water, which most nursing moms have that desire anyways. But I do know some who just kind of forget about it because they're so busy. Drinking a ton of water is great and just eating snacks, healthy snacks. Those are sweet tips. Yeah. And the sleep consultant in me heard like sleeping through the night at six months. And I was like, 
people don't all listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <Not> norm. <laughs> so lucky. And it was, it was totally one of those things too, where I think we were preventing it from happening, happening earlier because we co-slept for the first six months. And then we started noticing that they were waking up a lot more and having trouble going back to sleep. And um, I was like, I think maybe we're keeping them up. Or, you know, with Adelaide, it was the first time we realized this. I think we're keeping her up. Richard snores a lot and I move around. And so we're like, let's just try it. And uh, yeah, I mean, and she, we're not even just talking like through the night. She would go to bed and sleep in till, you know, like eight or nine in the morning. Oh my gosh. And then she was taking, still taking two naps a day. Dreams. It was glorious. <laughs> it was glorious. Uh, <laughs> was awesome. so I'm probably going to get like an insomniac this time around <laughs> and I'm preparing for it. Right. Some, some sleep karma there. Um, <laughs> totally. So how did you move from like this Oregon job to, I mean, you were growing the birth hour then at this time, right? So no, I had the idea while we were in Oregon. Um, but I hadn't actually started it yet. We moved to Austin pretty suddenly. Um, and I've talked about this on the birth hour a bit. Um, my best friend had a stillbirth um, in 2014 and I was down in Austin for her baby shower when it happened. And so I was there for the whole thing and it was just so hard to leave her. And I was literally sitting in the hospital waiting room Googling apartments and jobs and stuff in Austin and, you know, got home and told Richard, like, we have to move to Austin. And it was kind of our five-year plan to get back to Texas because I have family there and that's where I'm from. But it had only been, you know, two years. So we weren't quite there yet. Um, And he was great. He was really supportive of me and that. And so we started making plans for that. And the other thing that happened along with that, just emotionally, is that I couldn't even think about birth and babies because I had major anxiety and depression and you know PTSD from this whole experience and um and helping her through all of that and being her main support person and person she was talking to every day. Um that when we would get a birth announcement in the mail from somebody else, I would throw it away immediately because it stressed me out so much to see it. And so the idea of this birth story podcast that I had conceived of was really put on the back burner. Um, and it wasn't until the following, you know, fall that I launched the birth hour when we were already in Austin and I was working at another, um, full-time job. So you were working full-time and then had this side hustle with two kids in a new city. Exactly. Yeah. And it was kind of, it was like all over again for him because he had to then take the Texas state bar. So he was home with both kids studying for the bar exam and, um, and then job searching all over again. So it was a rough year for him. Luckily, like I found my job before we moved, uh, we wouldn't have moved without either of us having a job again, cause we have done that before. Um, and so I found my job, I actually moved down about six weeks before he and the kids did and lived with my friend. And that was really hard because I missed them like crazy, but here's my friend grieving the loss of her child. And I felt like I couldn't voice, you know, my sadness around missing my kids because she didn't have hers at all. And it was just a very, very emotional time. And uh, therapy was much, much needed. Yeah, no, I I bet that it sounds like an emotional roller coaster. So what kind of like, what did that look like in terms of like growing the birth hour and working a nine to five and also having two tiny humans? 
So um, the nice thing about starting a podcast is there's very little overhead. So I didn't feel like I was taking a big financial risk. Um, It was more just, you know, time-wise. And the company that I was working for was a startup in Austin, um, and I was working in marketing. And so a lot of the people on my team had side jobs. Like one guy had a board game website and um, just random stuff. And so they were really supportive. None of them understood what a birth story was even, but they were supportive of like the aspect of having, you know, kind of a side dream. And so that was really nice. Um, and so I just scheduled my interviews around um, evenings and weekends, which is actually kind of great with moms because a lot of times the daytime isn't great um, for them to record anyways. And so I would do that. And we, you know, we did a lot of kind of recording after bedtime or Richard taking the kids on the weekend to the park and I would get a few recordings in. And then very quickly, Richard took over the editing for me, which was amazing because that's definitely the most time consuming part. And he likes doing it. He'd done, you know, some stuff in GarageBand with his uh, music and whatnot on the side. And so he took that over for me. And if he hadn't done that, there's no way that I would have gone to two episodes a week. And it would have been more of a struggle to continue it at all, really, um, because that is really time consuming and just tedious. Yeah, I also have a husband who edits and I don't think I could do it without it. It's so nice. And I have like kind of carpal tunnel issues. And so it's just like a lot of that repetitive cutting and deleting. And it was just really actually physically painful for me to do it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's when he first, you know, kind of saw the need to, to take it over for me. Did you have any like guilt here about like adding a side hustle when you were working a nine to five? Um, no, Awesome. No, No, Bill. Yeah. I mean, the kids were old enough that it wasn't like I was, you know, depriving them of (laughs) their, you know, skin to skin time or something like that. I'm interested to see how it goes with a new baby. But, um, but yeah, no, I think that it was a good opportunity to set aside some time for myself and for Richard and the kids to go on a fun adventure sometimes on the weekend while I was working and stuff like that. So I, I never really felt you know, so awesome. I think sometimes when we, we would both stay up till 4 a.m. trying to finish an episode the night before, that felt a little crazy just because I knew I was going to be really grumpy the next day. But um, other than that, it wasn't not a lot of mom guilt around that one. Plenty of other things, but not that. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the one of the questions I've gotten was like taking time for yourself when you're working full time and knowing that like those full-time hours you're not spending with your kids and then kind of like wrestling with that guilt to then take more time away from them. That was, that was one of our questions. So that makes sense for sure. I think that, um, talking about, you know, self-care and all that is becoming more and more prevalent, which is great. And I think I like to kind of reframe what self-care is. It doesn't have to be just, you know, soaking in the bathtub. It can be, you know, taking an extra class on the side or starting a business, like something that is what is fun and excites you can be self-care, even if it feels more just like you're just doing more work or something. I don't know. Yeah. What, uh, what are some things that you have built into your like everyday life that you would consider like self-care? I think the biggest thing is sleep for me. Um, like I mentioned, I need a lot of it. Uh, so we've worked out our schedule to where Richard does the mornings 
And last year it was the opposite. I did the mornings um, and he picked up in the afternoon because I was able to get to work a little bit later than he was. And so now that I'm home, he does the mornings and I pick up in the afternoon and it's so amazing. I mean, I don't sleep. I sleep into like 7.30 or 8 maybe, but just that difference between waking up at 6.30 and having to rush to get kids out the door and Adelaide like almost every morning has a fashion crisis because <laughs> she's really... It's just a whole thing. Um, and it's really stressful. It's not a fun way to start your day. And I love that now I sleep in. I don't even see my kids in the morning unless it's, you know, something comes up that I need to help out. But um, so I wake up alone in a quiet house and make my coffee and listen to the daily podcast and then get into my work. So that is huge. I mean, and so on the weekends, I let Richard sleep in because it's clearly his turn. But five days a week, I get to sleep in. And for me, sleeping in is only you know 8 a.m., but that's so much better than 6 a.m. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. That is amazing. And such like a easy kind of tweak that you can make and nice that Richard's like, yeah, I'll get myself ready and both kids ready uh, for, for school. But nice to like have that five days a week. I'm sure there are a lot of people who will listen and be like, oh. It's so nice. <laughs> so. But at the same time, like I'm 
I'm offering a huge contribution to the family of picking them both up at 2.45 and mm-hmm. I do the entire afternoon, whatever afternoon activities we have. Um, d- dinner typically is all on me, you know, but I don't care. Like that's worth it to me to not have a rushed morning because I'm just not a morning person. Um, and sometimes we have major meltdowns after school and the after school time can be really stressful too. Um, and Richard gets stuck at work, but it's so nice for him to not have to be out the door at four in order to get to pick up by four thirty with after school care, which is what we had last year. And if you're late, it's a dollar a minute. I mean, that's a lot of stress in the afternoon. So I think it's been really good for both of us. Yeah, no, I think it's a good perspective. Um, so you mentioned that you didn't have mom guilt from adding the side hustle, but you do have some that has come up in other places. Where do you feel like the biggest like areas of that have come up? Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's just like every day, right? Like I know when they were babies, it was more around, um, you know, doing the right thing for for sleep or for the car seat, you know, like rear facing versus front, you know, just like all those little things that feel like life or death when they're babies. Um, And now that they're getting older, I honestly think it's way more stressful (laughs) because there's, they're going to remember this. Like Adelaide's six and a half now. I'm like, if I screw up, she's going to remember it. Like, is she going to remember that, that huge fight we just got in where I lost my temper and raised my voice. And, um, and so I really struggle with those types of things that feel more long-term now that they're older. Um, figuring out schooling was a huge one. That's so stressful. Kindergarten is not an easy transition at all. Um, and that's been really hard. Um, so yeah, I think it's just daily stuff of like, did I screw up today or did I do okay? Um, are my kids spoiled rotten because they want like new toys every day? That's Darwin's thing. I pick him up from school and he's like, I want to get a new toy today. (laughs) How did I create this child that thinks he's going to get a new toy every day? (laughs) You know? Um, and then they're both super picky eaters right now. And so I stress about that, but, um, I think the major mom guilt stuff comes around um, the school and, you know, are they going to be set up long-term and are we screwing them up in that way? (laughs) Yeah. Right. There are a million things that we can think over about the daily life. (laughs) I think at the end of every day, everyone can reflect and be like, oops, I said that wrong. Or I wish I could redo how I talked about that. Or I wish I could redo this reaction. And we can go over those in our head all the time. Totally. Yeah. I think I've gotten good at, um, trying to, you know, take a step back. Adelaide's a very, um, emotional child. And I, um, never really thought of myself as being that way. Um, but we can kind of butt heads and, um, and so she needs space after she's gotten really upset about something, whereas Darwin's ready to cuddle and like needs that physical interaction. So just knowing what they both need. And then once we do come back together, calm with Adelaide, especially, um, talking about it and I apologize if I've, you know, raised my voice and, and she'll apologize too, but trying to work it out in the moment just does not work for her. So I think, um, figuring out what works for each child and really paying attention to that and you can't treat them both, both the same, um, if that's not what they need. And then also the other thing that's helped me a lot is the love languages thing. Mm-hmm. Taking that for your kids is super helpful. Um, realizing that Adelaide, is a words of affirmation person. And if you don't know that and really pay attention to that, it can come off as just, she needs, she needs so much attention. 
she keeps trying to get attention, you know, and like if we um, give Darwin a compliment, she takes it as an insult, you know, she's like, well, what about me, you know, and that comes off kind of annoying and like bratty even, you know, it's like you aren't really thinking about it, you're like, okay, like sh- this is what she thrives on and Darwin thrives on physical touch and she doesn't. So figuring that out has helped a lot. Um, especially with like mom guilt of like, what have I done to like make a child that behaves this way, you know? Uh, yeah, no, I think that that's awesome. I mean, something I've used in my relationship, but also I hadn't really thought about thinking about it with kids, but I think that's a good Yeah, I think you can actually take the quiz online for your child. I haven't actually done that. I just kind of put two and two together, but um, I'm pretty sure that's an option on their website. That's awesome. Um, so now as you go into like being a work from home mom with a new infant, what are some like expectations or things that you know, you're kind of anticipating as differences going into this? I honestly don't know what to expect. And I've kind of been um, not diving really deep into that. My plan right now is to try to get ahead this summer with the things that I can. Um, The kids go to a really great summer program that is actually longer hours and Richard takes them and picks them up because it's near his office. So I will have basically like a 10 hour day. (laughs) Um, And so my goal is to make use of that time and really try to get ahead. And so that way I will have more of a, you know, maternity leave when the time comes. It also helps that the work that I do is related to birth and babies and postpartum and all that. So I'll be able to, I think, hopefully easily share, you know, throughout my day. And that will kind of be my social media touch point without having to like plan around that a lot. Um, but yeah, I haven't thought a lot past like the newborn phase. Cause I think when baby is a newborn, they sleep a lot and you're really just trying to recover in those first few weeks and setting that time apart is, is really important. But then once they start, you know, crawling around and making noise and not sleeping as much. I haven't thought about what that's going to look like for us, whether we're going to need, you know, a nanny or childcare, or if I'm going to go back to just trying to squeeze it all in on the nights and the weekends or, or what. So, um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you to stay tuned on that one. <laughs> if anyone <laughs> listening well. has advice on that, that works from home, um, with their kids in the home, I would love to hear from them because right now I'm, my kids go to school. So I have a quiet house when I, when I'm working from home. Yeah, I recently had a mom reach out who had to go back to work at four months, but her she works from home and her mom and mother-in-law are both doing like kind of sharing this caretaking. Um, but she was like, I, yeah, so nice. And she was like, it's so nice to be able to just like breastfeed and not pump and those little like perks of even though she's working, her child's still in the home. Uh, yeah, I think that's so nice but then once the kid gets older and they're like aware that you're there I think Uh it can be hard to kind of separate and then also for me with recording I need a quiet house and our house is not very big so it's not like I can just go you know into the basement and be fine um so that's where I'm gonna have to kind of figure that one out yeah I was actually a nanny for someone who worked from home and oh I did a nanny share and so the girls were I guess between like one and two I had them 
and mom worked upstairs and every time I'd put the girls down, I like, I became friends with this mom. And so every time we'd put the girls down for a nap, she would just come down and we would hang out during nap time and just like eat and have coffee and chat. And then she would just go back up and work when the girls woke up. It was kind of a sick setup for us. Yeah, um, that's nice. I, I nanny for people that worked from home and I kind of hated it because <laughs> I always felt like they were like listening and I don't know, I always felt like I was being watched or something. Yeah, no, I, I can totally see that. Right out of college, I was a live-in nanny, so something okay, I gotcha. got comfortable with. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it definitely, like, when there was a difference, though, in that, like, when mom went up to work, when I, like, first arrived at the house, there was inevitably, like, the first five minutes of her just, this little girl just, like, peeking up the stairs, like, I know she's up there. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, yeah, just a different adjustment, but cool. So... As you go into this next baby, just in general, is there anything that you're taking from like everything you've learned from the birth hour and from having your past two kids that are things that you're more mindful of? I think that I will just be enjoying the moments more. And I I mean, I know that's kind of like one of those things you say before you're actually in the moments, but (laughs) um, as a first time mom, you're so clueless, right? And everything feels so overwhelming and scary and you're figuring it all out. And so that's, you know, that was definitely part of it with Adelaide. And then Darwin was, you know, such an unexpected surprise that we were still kind of in the thick of it. Um, that, and then I went back to work and stuff. So I just felt like I didn't enjoy their babyhood. And that was one of the things I really struggled with. Um, we didn't get into, into like breastfeeding, but they both weaned a lot earlier than I would have liked. And they did it on their own. And, um, I felt like I was like robbing them of their babyhood and didn't have that time to, to be together. And I don't know. So I just, I'm really hoping to just kind of have more perspective and realize how quickly that time goes and, um, and try to enjoy it a little bit more. And I'm also really excited to see, um, Adelaide and Darwin as older siblings, because they were so close together that, you know, they weren't, it wasn't like they remember that at all, but they're both really excited this time. Yeah. I mean, I, as you know, an Instagram fan, I'm also excited to see this. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Lego, I love the like Lego baby thing from Darwin. Darwin refers to the Lego baby. This week it was a troll. This <laughs> app that I have, it you can choose like instead of fruits and vegetables, you can choose fun and games. And it's been really fun because it's like a Lego man, an army man, a troll doll. <laughs> and they ask me every Friday when it renews, they're like, what's the baby this week? <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Um, awesome. So where can people kind of connect with you or follow your journey here? Sure. So the birthhour.com has, you know, all the links you would ever need. Um, and then really it's just the birth hour on Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Um, and I'd love you know have new listeners to the podcast since you're, you're already reaching podcast listeners. We don't have to teach them what a podcast is. Um, if you're interested in birth stories, we've got a, a 250 episodes, something like that, every type of birth. Um, you can imagine. And then over on Instagram, we share a lot of really beautiful images from pregnancy and birth and postpartum motherhood, all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and can you just speak to, uh, for a second about your courses, especially like that sure. back to work breastfeeding course might be huge. 
Yeah. So I really wish I had had the hat um, when I was going back to work with Darwin. Uh, Stephanie's our childbirth educator and she's also a lactation counselor and doula. And she's helped so many moms. She actually, her specialty is postpartum doula, which is just amazing. Um, And so she's helped so many moms through these different phases. And she put together this back to work breastfeeding course that she taught in person in Austin. And we were able to put it all together online so that people can access it at their own pace. And that course, as well as our Know Your Options childbirth course are both online and you get lifetime access to them so that you can kind of come back whenever. We have a lot of second time moms in there and even a third time mom or two. Um, And it's all evidence-based childbirth education that's very um, inclusive and open-minded about all different choices that people might be making around birth. And that's really why I wanted to partner with Stephanie because everything out there that I was finding was, you know, really focused on one way to do it, like the Bradley method or hypnobirthing or just this overarching natural childbirth thing. And then they would throw in like, if that doesn't work out, here's, here's what you can expect with a cesarean or something at the end. And we really do it in this all encompassing way of, of really covering everything right from the beginning so that all moms can feel supported and not just their different choices, but different ways that birth might go, which if you've listened to the birth hour, you know, it's pretty unpredictable. Yeah, so all that information is on the website at thebirthhour.com. There's a little tab that says courses and you can just get that info there. That's awesome. And are they like, is the back to work breastfeeding course? I know the childbirth course comes in and out in terms of whether or not you can can enroll. Is it the same with the back to work breastfeeding course? No, the back to work breastfeeding course you can grab whenever you want, um, right there from the website. And then yes, the Know Your Options course, which actually comes with the back to work breastfeeding course for free. Um, that one we do like launches throughout the year so that we can kind of welcome a new group of students and really support them. We have a private Facebook group that you also get access to where um, I'm in there and Stephanie's in there answering questions. A lot of questions come after baby arrives um, with getting used to breastfeeding and things like that. So we love having kind of a group of students just like you would with a childbirth course. And because it's self-paced, it really doesn't matter what point you are in your pregnancy to take it. Um, We have moms that join when they're still trying to conceive. And then we have moms that join when they're due in like two weeks and binge watch it. So um, usually there's going to be a group launch for you, regardless of where you are in your journey. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Bryn, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is super fun. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. If this podcast has helped you on your journey, please take two minutes to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for joining forces with us to cultivate this modern parenting village. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, 
we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.